0: Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. So this episode is the third in our series of anime retrospectives, and we're going to be talking about Beyblade. Uh, I intended this episode to actually be about Albator, or Captain Harlock, and the whole social phenomenon that surrounded that show in Quebec years ago. Uh, and, and we do, I do have people lined up for it. Uh, I'm almost ready to, to sort of give my spiel on it, but unfortunately we've had some scheduling conflicts, so I've had to uh, push it back. But... To make up for that, I have decided to do go forward with a different uh, retrospective, which is this one for Beyblade. And to talk about Beyblade today, I brought on two guests. One has been on the show before. Uh, it's Noah Carson. Hi, everybody. Uh, and we also have a new guest. Uh, she was one of the co-hosts uh, on the uh, Beyblade podcast, uh, which was produced uh, fairly recently, I believe. Uh, Ashley Florence. Hi there.
1: Nice to meet you all.
0: Yeah, gr- uh, very glad to have you on.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah. yeah, I know both of you are big fans of Beyblade, so hopefully we'll we'll get a lot of input uh, from you on this. Back when we started doing these uh, in the first one, I, I think I even explicitly said that Beyblade was not a show that I considered the type of show that we would do a retrospective on here. Because these typically focus on anime series that have, that have had a unique cultural impact in Canada. Um, but when you think about it, Beyblade does qualify in a lot of ways. You know, we're talking about shows that hit in a time and place that caused them to resonate with people here in a way that is distinct from how they resonated with people in other countries. Uh, the fact that certain shows can be inexplicable hits in some countries due to the time and place they were exhibited to me as one of the most fascinating things about cross-cultural media. Uh, and sometimes this can be tied to factors that run, that run much deeper than the content itself. It can be tied to things like merchandising deals. Uh, so over the years, Zonan Canada, both as a website and as a podcast, is focused on the presence of anime in Canadian media. But that focus has usually been on anime that, at least when delivered to a Western audience, is considered to be sort of for an older demographic. Uh, more importantly, though, is that the shows we focus on are usually those that aren't tied to a toy line. Uh, now that's not catch-all. Obviously, we have except there are exceptions like Dragon Ball, Naruto, and Gundam, uh, and probably more depending on where specific people draw that line. But for the most part, it's the shows that don't have a big kids merchandising connection that have the hardest time getting exposure in Canada. It always seems like an uphill battle for them. A lot of what drives that interest is the fact that shows that are on the opposite side of that equation are again in an, in an, face it an uphill battle in a completely different situation. Uh, the challenge of getting anime on TV, is oftentimes seems to be directly proportionate to how closely it is tied to a toy line. Anime shows that are heavy merchandising vehicles for kids' toys are honestly just as prominent on Canadian TV or in Canadian media as they've ever been, if not more so.
1: I think you're absolutely right there, Jesse, and we're introduced to a... Unique substance in Beyblade, in that so many of the other animes that we were introduced to as young Canadians, such as Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, uh, even Pokemon, primarily, we were introduced to an anime that inspired a toy line, Digimon, as well. And
0: yeah,
2: to- to- toy line came first with Beyblade. Um,
1: exactly, it was it yeah. was the other way around. So that's really, I, really.
2: Cool. I thought it originated with the Takuoko Aki's manga in Japan. It started with the toy line, okay. and then the manga came after that. And the show itself
0: is actually based off of the manga. I think there's a a, a perception that the show was developed specifically just based on the on the, the toy, but the the manga was actually the basis for for both both generations. Everything up until everything through Shogun Steel, I believe. And it, just in terms of being a, like a Canadian kind of commercial entity, Beyblade might be the most extreme case of that, uh, because it's actually one of the few anime that have been licensed and distributed entirely by a Canadian company. And that resulted in a franchise that has a considerable cultural influence on on kids here, especially in the mid-2000s, right up until today. So be- because of of the type of show it is, a lot of people probably feel that it doesn't count for the types of shows we usually talk about here. And I'm going to be honest, I still kind of feel that way a little bit. But Beyblade was so closely tied to the ongoing identity crisis of, like, Chorus-owned Animation House Nelvana. Uh, for most of this century, um, that I think there's a definitely a strong case for exploring it more, um, and it's also worth mentioning, as Ashley touched on back when I did, the, when we did the retrospective for Sailor Moon. We talked we talked at length about how like the proliferation and success of merchandise in Canada for Sailor Moon specifically is why it was able to survive for so long and become a specific cultural phenomenon here. So in that case, why not extend a similar courtesy to Beyblade, right? Again, also notable, this is one of the very few cases where an anime title is licensed and distributed globally by a Canadian company rather than an American one. And if you think about it, it's kind of strange that this has never happened with another title. Anime distribution, even for whether it's for uh, like a toy oriented show or or whatnot, is almost always uh, done south of the border in, in the United States. As I was getting at before... Beyblade began as a toy line uh from Takara Tomy back in 1999 and it was based off of actually two manga series. The first was ta- well, the first was titled Explosive Shoot Beyblade by Takao Aoki. Um and that was adapted into the first generation shows which included Beyblade, Beyblade G-Force and Beyblade V Revolution. There was a second manga titled Metal Fight Beyblade. That was by Takafumi Adachi uh and was adapted into the second generation anime which included Beyblade Metal Fusion, Beyblade Metal Masters, Beyblade Metal Fury, and Beyblade Shogun Steel. Both of these were published in Korokoro Comic Magazine in Japan, uh, which is targeted at elementary school students. So that kind of gives you an idea of what the demographic was. Uh, By comparison, Yu-Gi-Oh! was published in Weekly Shonen Jump, which is targeted, for the most part, at middle schoolers and some high schoolers. So uh, I know a lot of people put these shows in the same category. I think there's a little bit of distinction to be seen uh, between Beyblade and Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, and it's interesting to see the depths that they go with, um, or rather, maybe this is something we can, we can debate later is that the, the extent of those shows go in terms of world building and, and how they focus on things versus, uh, presenting the, the product. It's a, a really interesting balance. Um, before we start, can one of you guys just kind of give me a, a quick rundown of what the franchise is all about? You can probably put it in, you're both fans, so you can probably put it in better words than, than I can. Uh, Selling
1: toys. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, what, what, that's a large part yeah. of Beyblade in a nutshell, 100%. But mm-hmm. if we talk from an anime perspective, we're introduced, especially in the first three seasons, I will be open and honest in stating that Takafumi Adachi's later, uh, later seasons of Beyblade, such as Metal Fusion and stuff, I actually have not seen. I, mm-hmm. I'm now, I am a huge fan of the initial three seasons, Beyblade, B-Force, and G-Revolution. They were the most easily, the most, impacting anime of my young and we're introduced to an initial character his name is Tyson Granger or uh Takao if you will for the Japanese original and he's very interested in the sport known as beyblading and it appears to be a big global phenomenon At, throughout the plot of the series we're introduced to countless more characters as a small team is formed like any other sports anime you do have a team A bunch of individuals who are declared better at this sport than any than any other people for some natural reason. In this case, it's these magical spirits that actually live inside their Beyblades, which are their little spinning tops. So I love that dynamic and that we're introduced to so many different characters over the course of three seasons. And I also felt like Beyblade had a great cultural phenomenon in the fact that we are introduced to from all around the world. We have Chinese teams. We're uh, introduced to Japanese characters, a, a Russian team, and more places besides, American too. It, I found that was very, very... I, I just thought that was a great standpoint. to take. like, wow, if I'm... Like, I've watched Cardcaptor Sakura, I saw Sailor Moon, and I just felt like, so they're all in Japan, they're in Japan, they're in Japan. From the beginning,
0: Beyblade kept in the, the Japanese setting, which is something... That kind of happens haphazardly with different uh, kids localizations for shows.
2: It's usually glossed over most of the time. Just look at 4Kids. So this was unique for sure.
0: So I'm just going to assume that you know both of you discovered the show on YTV growing up, right? Yep.
1: Saturday morning so, cartoons. Exactly. So
0: you know when, when we do these retros, yeah. When we do these retrospectives, we, we I kind of ask what how people you know how, what their first experience with the show was. Um, I I want to get a better idea of just how popular you found it to be. With other kids when you were growing up, like how big of a phenomenon was it with just like with just kids in general in the schoolyard or or anything like that?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, When Beyblade (laughs) began to air on T, it it just it was a huge phenomenon. Everyone, all of my friends, everyone in my classes in school, they all had Beyblades. And during our breaks, recess and dinner, we would be in the gymnasium. We would be out by the door. We'd have our little stadiums. I was the best. That was a great thing. <laughs> it was such a popular thing. It was hugely impactful.
2: Uh, what about you, Noah? Oh, I, I was very much in the same boat. Uh, I mean, I was eight when it premiered. Uh, I just got caught up immediately. All my friends, we like, we dropped Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, and we're just like Beyblade. And you know, we're doing <laughs> really yes. <laughs> well, we still played Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, but Beyblade kind of just took over our lives for like a year and a half there, to the point that. I probably. probably got some war stories from the playground.
1: Oh, yeah, let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: with with kids in general, did you find that Beyblade was something that uh, that they stuck with for a lot of years? Or did they, is something that a lot of kids grew out of very quickly? Because you, you, you mentioned Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Those seem to be, again, like I mentioned, Yu-Gi-Oh! Is, was a Shonen Jump title. So, it kind of has that little bit of extra meat that probably... Uh, makes it that I I would argue probably makes it a little more endearing for um for older fans. But uh, what was the case with Beyblade? Is it something that k- k- kids left behind or stayed popular as they as they got older?
2: Well, it's funny you should mention Yu-Gi-Oh because by the time G Revolution came around, my friends and I were basically done with Beyblade, and we had actually gone back to we actually Yu-Gi-Oh lasted longer for. Mm-hmm.
1: And as like as a true fan of the series, I I will be as objective as possible and as well and it seems like the general trend of when i was young and i can back this up with while not canadian the countless other perspectives i've received since friends been and i was doing this podcast from around the world it seems like everyone They picked up Beyblade from the initial season. They were huge fans. It was a year and a half, two-year process, right into V-Force. We were all still fans. We still had our little team. We were playing every day. There were other children to play with every day. It was still really popular. We knew the anime. We knew about the toys. We were still flocking to the stores to get these toys. But, by the time, G revolution had aired, even for me personally. That was when the trend seemed to begin to slope downward. That was when... Uh, the female audience of the show, as well, me me excluded, uh, had moved on by then. I believe maybe mm-hmm. midway through V Force. And what was left over did seem to be a lot of young guys my age. Just, you know, the random other girl who really, really did love the series. So it did seem like by the time the two year mark had ticked by with Beyblade running on YTV, that was uh, the fandom scene to slide.
0: Did you ever, I know, have you ever gotten the sense that the popularity of the franchise was like far bigger? Here in Canada, than compared to other places, because you have to, you had to remember that we we didn't just have uh like a, a central marketi- merchandising um system for the toys and and uh, the show played prominently on YTV. Uh, we also had tournaments that were hosted. Uh, I think largely in Canada. Uh, they start YTV had them on and we- their Weird on Wheels t- tours at first, but then they became bigger and and started traveling between different cities and and attracted a, a number of people. I don't think that it ever sort of got that push outside of canada or i could be mistaken
1: i don't believe it did either to be honest uh the last beyblade world championships that were actually held in canada were in 2012 they were in toronto uh, i didn't attend or anything like that but I, i've done my fact fact digging <laughs> to uh be ready for the. and it didn't have that far-reaching effect especially not especially with the toy line as the anime did i uh Also to prepare for the podcast, I actually went online on my Tumblr account, Midnight Star 8 and I asked all of my friends who were involved in the fandom if they wouldn't mind giving me a little bit of a piece of their initial experience with Beyblade, whether it's mostly based on nostalgia, whether it was based on the toys. How did it affect their culture? And I did get one response in particular from a fan who is from Portugal, and she stated that anime just wasn't popular there. It had zero impact on her community. But Beyblade strongly tied to her nostalgia, had a huge impact on her. But now they didn't Mm. sell the toys there. It wasn't very popular.
0: Interesting. So obviously Nelvena was behind the international push for the show. I find it interesting that it still made it into a lot of markets, even though the toys didn't go along with it.
1: That is very interesting when you think about it, because I think what we view Beyblade as was a mostly toy-driven anime. And I think all these tests from the several people I've talked to, Italy... The UK, uh, the US, everyone seems to mention that the toys were okay, but it was the anime that hooked them. So I'm wondering if... It'd be interesting to think about if Canada had a majority toy-driven interest for Beyblade, or whether we were just as involved with the anime as internationally. It
0: just just made me think of Gundam, how here we regard Gundam as something that's not really tied to merchandise, whereas anywhere you go in Asia, it is... Basically viewed entirely as a uh, merchandising vehicle for um, for model kits, and I just thought, wow, I wonder if people see Beyblade in countries without the toys the same way that they we we kind of see Gundam here. That'd be uh, kind of an interesting perspective. So as for for my kind of take on Beyblade, uh, I was I was too old for it when it was airing, so I never got into it. Uh, I to prepare for this episode, I did. Uh, watch I watched quite a few episodes at least two from every season i I, I don't have in-depth knowledge of the storylines or, or anything and I, I know you guys can fill in all those gaps for me but I just you know I watched enough to sort of get how the show evolved and and the basic idea behind it after the the handful of episodes I watched i I, I feel confident that I kind of got the idea. I honestly still have nothing to say about the quality of the show itself. Um, without nostalgia for it, it's it's kind of impossible for me to have any kind of po- voice any kind of positive opinion. And at the same time, it's not fair to voice any kind of negative opinion. So I'm I'm kind of more concentrated on the really interested interesting production history uh, behind the show. N- normally at this point, I would separately break down the Japanese and the Canadian. Cultural perspective behind an anime, but in the case of Beyblade, its development was so closely intertwined uh, between the two countries that it's honestly more helpful to just kind of describe it all in one info dump. I gathered some information, did a little bit of research, and I actually got this giant dossier of information from uh, Jonathan Andrade, who runs I Miss Bionics, uh, which is a Facebook group and and blog. Um, I wanted him to come on the show, but that just doesn't seem to happen for some reason. So, but he was glad, he was happy to provide me with a lot of the information. What really strikes me is that the story of how the Beyblade franchise developed is very much a story about the state that Nelvana was in, uh, in the in the in the 2000s, because they have been directly involved in this franchise to some capacity right up until recently. Very recent. I. I yeah, they're, the, the the latest one, Beyblade Burst, they are not involved with, and that kind of marks the end of um the strong Canadian connection with with this franchise. Looking at it, and just looking at the state Nelvana was in, where they were scaling back on actual animation production and focusing on licensing titles from other countries and, and merchandising them, you know, I know this sounds negative, but it's almost like watching Nelvana succumb to a drug addiction uh, as they become more and more dependent on... Merchandising revenue from a foreign production. And and this whole story actually started with another anime, which Ashley already brought up Card Captor Sakura. Uh, Nirvana had been looking for a merchandisable anime hit since the late 90s, and they swiped that show out from under the feet of established anime companies. That
1: actually, yes, to Nirvana just the year before Beyblade.
0: Obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, They as is widely known, their version of the show was retitled Card Captors. Um and while it, it and it was heavily localized and uh was pretty much butchered to different extents in various markets. The version of Card Captors that aired in Australia actually had um like the, the original opening attached to it and the episodes in the right order. Uh the, the, we got all the episodes in Canada, but they they were reordered uh the first time and then they were put back in the proper order during subsequent airings. In the States, it was just sl- slashed down to 39 episodes with the episodes all out of order. So it was a really... Uh, there was there was a lot of uh, meddling at different levels in the way that localization was handled. Um, perhaps worst of all, they tried to shift the target demographic from girls to boys, which is a really baffling decision because it damages the show from a core merchandising angle.
2: It really does. And from a story angle.
0: Well, yeah, but... But when you remember that the reason that uh, Nevada picked the show up was because they could merchandise it. But all the merchandising for Cardcaptor Sakura is is stuff targeted at girls. Um. Oh, and I guess, like, obviously, Otaku were, were an audience as well. But, I mean, this was a Nakayoshi big title targeted at young girls in Japan. It had all the type of merchandise you sell, all that, the same type of merchandise that was a big hit with Sailor Moon in Canada. And... Somewhere in the production, it just the target audience shifted and the entire merchandising approach of it kind of fell apart. Um, they tried very hard to mold the series into something it wasn't. Um, they tried so
2: to make Digimon, Pokemon, likely.
0: Exactly. Um, Didn't work. It, it did not work, and you can see a lot of mistakes being addressed in the way that they handled their acquisition of Beyblade. Um, because in this case, they wanted more. Contr- it wasn't that they they wanted to be more faithful to the product, but they wanted control over a franchise from a conceptual level. And that's how their acquisition of Beyblade kind of evolved. Uh, so we, we, we've touched on the, the first season a little bit. Um, the first season was actually produced by Madhouse, and was directed by Toshifumi Kawase. Uh, he directed a number of other titles. Um, I think the one of the most notable ones was actually Tenjo Tenge. Um, I, like, I, I would imagine that, uh, well, I mean, we've already touched on it a little bit, I would imagine that this first series is what you guys would have the most to, to talk about.
1: It is definitely the most prominent and the most popular amongst the fandom. Uh, Second to that would actually be the third season, I think, would be G-Revolution. The second season, uh, when you look at Beyblade's hardcore fans now, as a lot of us are adults, uh, on the Tumblr community at least, which is where I'm drawing a lot of my answers from, besides Mm -hmm. my own personal. It seems to me that V-Force was the most disliked, and that could be from an animation perspective I know was a... That it was a definite decline from the first season. There's no sugarcoating that.
2: Not to mention the drastic art style shift too, really turned and a lot of the, people off.
1: The graphics for the bay battles themselves Ugh. were very, yeah.
0: Yeah, when it starting in V Force, the uh the production shifted over to Nippon Animation <laughs> and the director changed too. It was uh, Yoshio Takeuchi uh, who directed the first season of Cat's Eye. Um. And from the little bit I saw, like I could see in some ways an evolution from the first season. It's it's. I, I found the first season to be like the, the episodes I watched of it. It was a little. It, it seemed kind of really straightforward. Very, you know, not not really going much deeper than the 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 toy commercial aspect. But um, I don't know. What what is your take on the the comparison between the the first season and the second season? I I, I get you're giving me the sense that the the fan opinion was was a little more. Not so positive for first season two, I take it? Yep.
1: That, that is correct. Um, we were introduced to Beyblade season one, and it's the season that got us so interested, it hooked us into the show. We were used to this style of animation, and this works the same way with any other television show, any other anime series. What you watch and what you fall in love with first A large majority of the audience is going to want to remain boiled. So when the art style changed force, there there was a lot of outcry. It wasn't very popular. I remember myself looking at the new bit, which was a prominent art standpoint. In the first season, the bit beasts are pictured to us as basically colorful outlines. Every Beyblader had their own bit colored bit beast. And in the second season, they were full on animation uh colored separately, and I was just like, Ugh. let alone the horrible Beyblade themselves graphics of the actual sport and the battles. I remember it was really jarring. And like uh, Noah mentioned earlier, from an art standpoint, you would think as the years go by, because Beyblade is a timeline, especially the first three seasons, the characters are getting a year older, and they don't look that way.
2: They've regressed in age They've
1: <laughs> they regressed. Our, we, a certain blonde character in particular by the name of Max oh or Mizuhara what Max, what did they do to Max? Goodness, he looks he like he rest in age about five years. He looks five. He does. And and it doesn't help by the writing <laughs> in certain episodes. They keep referring to him as young Max, young Max, young Max. Yeah, well, he's pretty young. <laughs> It was a, it wasn't a great art point I think for them to take. And now when we go back to G Revolution with the third season in that succession, it's the last season that I watched personally. The art style has improved actually drastically in the first two seasons. And there it's almost like you're basically if someone had not told me the timeline of this anime and asked me to order it, I according to the age the characters look, B Force would come first. Second, uh, first season would be in second place, and G-Revolution would remain third. So there's definitely a, a animation jar between the first season and the second season that the fan base wasn't particularly happy with.
2: One thing I find interesting, too, is that G-Revolution appears the closest to the manga in terms of art style at least for it me it really
1: does you're you're absolutely correct
2: and one other thing i gotta mention uh about just the the shift it wasn't just an art style what turned me off for a lot of v force was the story direction it went from being a standard tournament uh sports anime to like a a mystery and stuff and like a conspiracy in v force it did. It, 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 it... J- it threw me off honestly and and,
0: and that was a uh... That took away from it, you found? Yeah, because part of when, when you when you describe it, that makes it sound more interesting to me. I know, I guess I
1: <laughs> exactly. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with you because I think it depends on what you like. For me, actually, yeah. and now I'm an oddity, and a fan can be, believe me completely. Um, I actually really do like V Force. Not for the animation, but I like different story. I like different characters and the different scenarios but i i will say with noah's piece as well in v-force we're introduced to very little of the actual tournament gameplay which the first season is so heavily based on it's beyblade is practically a sports anime so when you actually have so little of the tournament play in v-force i did find and i no shame in saying that either that i think that was a bad plot move i i don't think that they should have had they should have axed so much of the tournament play. I I think it hurt.
0: Definitely. Do you have any opinions on the localization? Uh, because if like at this point with Beyblade, it was uh, Nelveno was not hands on with the actual production of the show. They just localized it afterwards. I, I understand they actually added characters in Dizzy, which is like the <laughs> the the the, 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 alpha the computer. Five, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: that's Kenji's yeah, beast, trapped in his laptop.
0: Yeah, which is, it didn't exist in the Japanese version at all, apparently. Oh, he um, just
2: to his searches. my god.
1: The big, the big secret, though, that I had to let you in on is that Dizzy actually inspired Cortana and in Terry. Really? Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh. Yeah, it was a, it was an odd standpoint, and from someone who actually saw the anime before reading the manga, I was just, there's no, there's no Dizzy. Where's she at? <laughs> She's not there. <laughs> and so then I had to go back and look I found out Dizzy was a Nelvana decision, and I was a little bit like, oh, I'm,
0: I like Dizzy. Yeah, that, that's a real uh, Battle of the Planets kind of kind of decision where they go and add characters in for for some for some reason. Uh, they also added two um two announcers as well. Um, right. one of them was voiced by AJ Topper. One of them was voiced by Mark Daly, uh, yeah. or the late Mark Daly, who was who was the City TV announcer. Oh, right. uh, apparently, also a Toronto newscaster. I'm in Vancouver, so I don't. I don't see that. I, I just know him as the City
2: TV voice, Oh, uh, or the former actually, City TV voice, at least. Brad Best and AJ Topper were the comic relief of the whole show.
1: They and were. The they were great. great. They I love their banter. Were back awesome. before, they were awesome. They were. They were literally everything that was good about Beyblade <laughs> tournaments in the first season. They were great. Like Noah <laughs> said, they were so much comic. Um, because, actually, and I could inquire a lot of fan backlash because of this, and even probably from you guys, depending on the standpoint, uh, I actually have not watched the old Beyblade in Japanese, and Brad and AJ not being there is part of the reason why, man. I, I love Brad Best and AJ Topper. They're so great.
0: Do people go back and watch this? sub? Is this like a thing in the fandom for people to actually watch the subtitled
1: version? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Because... Uh, people actually don't know, and there's not much, ant- much uh, information about it online. But there is a small degree of censorship in Beyblade. The- nothing to the degree of Sailor Moon, and nothing to that adult of a degree either, such as Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune. But uh, in Beyblade, there was a death that was overshadowed in our English dub, and a couple uh, animations were actually cut out from our anime that the Japanese original did have.
2: And they did rewrite some romance plots as Friendship.
1: Yes, they did.
2: Hooray <laughs> Oh. I mean,
1: what? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's too that's bad. the
1: elephant in the room.
2: They do get married in the manga, though. There's they that. They do.
1: Uh, they do. There are children in the manga ending. So you, you know there is some romance going on. So I feel like we did get a bit of a watered-down version.
2: <laughs> My ship was right all
1: along. I ship it, too. Oh, aren't they perfect?
2: <laughs> They're perfect together.
1: They're not Max and Miriam, but you know, I do love them.
2: I prefer you know? Max and Emily, but whatever. This is not the time oh, and place for oh. this.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, take it back over, Jesse. There's going to be a fight. Yeah,
0: it's it's, it's interesting um, that uh, Nelvana actually did make, no major edits, but they did make some edits to the show, and a lot of that was because they just received the show, um, or, they, or they produced the show after, or they produced the English version after the fact, um. It was starting with the second generation with the with the metal series uh, that the nature of Beyblade's production changed a lot. Ooh. It was no longer produced yeah it was no longer produced in Japan with you know primarily for a Japanese audience with the exportation as an afterthought. Uh, it had become a full fledged Canada Japan co production between Nelvana and D Rights uh, who was the master licensor for the series and it was made specifically for uh, the outside audience um, from the get go uh, and prominently for the Canadian audience, um, very notably, uh, again, because Nelvana and YTV were both owned by Chorus at this point, um, the show was actually branded as a YTV original during its broadcast, and I believe it's the only anime series uh, that that was ever the case for.
2: And yet we still were behind Cartoon Network in the
0: airings. Yeah, they uh, I, I believe that for some airings they uh, they aired here first. But from the dates I read, it seemed that Cartoon Network always seemed to uh, to, to get the edge in the end. So basically for the show all of the animation and writing were handled in Japan uh, this time by Tatsunoko Productions. Um interestingly though one aspect of the show was done in Canada for both the English and Japanese versions. Um usually when shows are localized uh, the music is completely redone in uh for the English version um for you know for, for that's a typical thing done with toy commercial shows. Um and a big reason is that for that is because um, you can actually get, the companies can actually make royalties off of the recomposed music. Uh, that's uh, what we call the the Haim Saban trick. Interestingly, uh, the one aspect of the show that Nelvana did take was producing the background music. They actually produced the background music for both the Japanese and, and English version. It was The background music was composed by a Toronto-based uh, guy by the name of Neil Parfit, and that is very rare to see a major aspect of the background music not being produced in Japan. Uh, I can't think of really any other versions like this. Um so obviously from from the get-go, the show was not edited or changed in uh, from its Japanese version because it was very carefully cultivated uh by Nelvana producers to be the same in every market, and not have to be changed. Um, And of course, with this shift in production, these episodes took on a much different flavor, and you can see that uh, just right in the way that it's animated. Um, The animation studio changed. Uh, It was actually done by Tatsunoko Productions, in this case. When I look at this show, I see a very glossy look that screams this was not made primarily for a Japanese audience. I don't know what, uh, what your opinion on the actual composition of, of the show is, or what makes it different. I, I guess, uh, actually, you haven't really, Noah, did you have any oh, thoughts on Oh,
2: Lord, do I have thoughts on <laughs> Metal Fight based Saga. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I did watch all three seasons and Shogun Steel because there was nothing else good on in high school on a Saturday when I was unemployed.
1: Story of my life.
2: Yep. And <laughs> We're not judging you, Noah, it's okay. <laughs> I, I I would, I would hope there would be no judgment here. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, did enjoy the show for what it was. It's never it never compares the original in my humble opinion, but that's just nostalgia speaking. Um, but overall, it felt way more like a toy commercial. There was way less character development, and it was way more focused on the the Beyblade fights themselves. And I think to its derailment, honestly.
1: I uh, I agree with Noah. I may not have sat down and watched these new series, you know, show to show, cover to cover, but I have seen enough. Vibes. I've seen enough video clips and stuff to draw my little oh, conclusions. Oh God, the voice acting. And, oh yeah. Um, Especially the main
0: character. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I noticed that he had a very interesting voice, <laughs>
1: <laughs> to say the least. Um, in saying that as well, I, I do want to make it clear to anyone who'd be listening to us right now. I actually have a, another perspective that I drew from my researching is a fan from the UK who uh, who stated very boldly that it was the metal series that reignited his love for the film. He had watched the originals, but he'd grown out of it a bit, were his words and he'd been involved in other things. And then he said it was it was actually the middle series. You know, it's funny Ashley that you say you hate the middle series, yet it was the middle series for me that I may love a bit more. It was what drew me back in. So I guess I wouldn't say I
2: completely hate it. Uh, but I there I was quite a watched bit of a strong it, so I'm a there bit of strong hate there. Not as much hate as I have towards Michael Bay, but that's neither here. <laughs> um yeah I <laughs>
1: I'm biased, I guess, because I haven't watched the series, so it is what it is. I'm glad that it has such a cultural impact right now. I, I don't know. <laughs> there isn't a young kid in my family, and there are quite a few who don't have a metal series. Yeah, very, it was
2: very, it was extremely popular. Like, I live in a neighborhood, suburban, with a lot of young families, and they like all the time. I'd be raking leaves, and kids were running by playing Beyblades in the streets. Very dangerous, by the way. Yeah. Um. But and like the toys sold out everywhere. I even admit I broke down and bought a few of them just just for that ping of nostalgia.
1: My boyfriend's little brother has in the 20s. He has a lot of them, and uh, the art difference from the art the first season to now, not just with the anime but with the toys as well, is really drastic. Now they're made of metal. We um, when we were, yeah, when we were young, they were plastic, they had 50 stickers on them, and they were colorful, and they were the bomb, you know, and now everything is metal, and they're they're these weird colors, like, it's, it's different, it's definitely different, but in saying that, I'm really glad that they seem to be so popular, because it's no different than comparing fans of the original Sailor Moon series to Sailor Moon Crystal, the reboot, so... Our Beyblade was the first three seasons for the most part, and this is their Beyblade, so I think it's great.
0: Sh- Shogun Steel see- still seems to be kind of a deal breaker on some of them, at least ba- ba- based on what I've gathered from comments I've read.
2: Shogun Steel was a decent uh, follow, a, a decent series. Uh, you know, it followed a new generation. The older characters had become adults. There was a bit of a mentor role. I like that aspect, but overall. It just felt like more of the same just with a fresh coat of paint on the uh main cast, so in it the... didn't really amount. it didn't really amount to much aside from some fan service for the older i it is
0: also it's also with that point of the series that in japan um the episodes actually started getting shortened to fifteen minutes rather than thirty. It shared a time slot with Beat-Em-On, which uh obviously is a very similar kind of um a toy commercial <laughs> show, but uh not. Doesn't really have any Canadian involvement in its production. It's kind of went in a different direction. Um, but the episodes, when they aired here, were edited together into 30 minute episodes, but that actually brought the show short of, uh, of Nelvana's order, which is very weird considering that they played such a, uh, a, a prominent role in the show's production that it would, that, that something like that would happen. Um, but they actually needed to compensate for that short order, which resulted in Gang Wheels. Bay Wheels, which from a production standpoint might be the most interesting part of this franchise because it has the rare designation of being like a full fledged anime that was made in Japan, like fully produced and written in Japan, voiced with voice work done in Japan, but never aired in Japan, was never made available in Japan in any way. It only aired in international markets. Um which I think is testament to how Badly, Nelvana needed to keep this franchise going, that they would actually produce a spit, like a, a spin off franchise entirely for themselves and have a, a, a studio, like Tatsunoko Productions in Japan produce this thing, even though j- there was no outlet for it in Japan itself. Um, so yeah, I watched a bit of Bay Wheels and, like, even with, so, like, <laughs> I didn't watch very much of any of these shows, but I could tell that there is clearly a, a drop in uh everything. In everything. <laughs> in, in, in this
1: hey man, we all make mistakes. Um, so uh Jesse, it's interesting that I really like that your take standpoint like for the podcast, you're talking about how you feel Nelvana and like how Beyblade influenced Nelvana as a production. Team. And uh, sure, uh I did a bit of research now mm. I I I do have the links <laughs> should yeah. should I need to share them with you guys uh in the future. So they're about as factual as I can get it. And now I'm no accountant, but uh, I actually did find... It's not quite a spreadsheet, but it's a recording of uh, income from course Entertainment via 2004. So I remember you'd asked us in preparation for the podcast how we felt Beyblade ranked for Nelvana shows. Do we believe Beyblade was a positive thing for Nelvana or was it a negative business direction? And I'm going to say that... Up to a point, Beyblade was a very positive direction for them, but up to a uh, via the income spreadsheet that I did find from Course Entertainment uh, in 2004, Novana's fourth quarter sales review revealed a seven percent loss in sales gains sales gains via August 2004. That is when Beyblade had stopped airing at the end of 2003. And Beyblade is actually mentioned in the spreadsheet itself about four times. And it says it's largely driven by Beyblade, largely driven by Beyblade, largely driven by Beyblade. So I'm assuming Mm. that they felt the need to really, you know, mention how the merchandise and and the anime were still positively influencing their sales, but there was an overall drop. And this is after Mm -hmm. Beyblade stopped airing. So I'm assuming that for the first couple of years, Beyblade, did awesome for them i think it was their a huge chunk of their income but by the time we look at these older seasons i think that may be when the decline began. that, that and, and that's the
0: whole thing obviously it made them a lot of money for 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 uh, a, a quite a long period but it is during that period that we also saw a decline in the number of actual shows that nilvana was producing themselves um because they had become dependent on a foreign franchise and getting the merchandise off of it. And now we look at the post Beyblade Nelvana, uh, because Beyblade is still going with Beyblade Burst, but Nelvana is not involved in this version. Uh, so they, ha- they, in trying to, um, get a merchandisable series again, they are actually increasing their production. They're, they're developing new, um, new franchises that they're actually making in-house as Canadian productions that they can get merchandise, that they could, generate merchandise revenue off of um that of course includes uh the new battle of the planets show which uh is supposed to surface eventually and also mysticons which is a show that's been you know developed and redeveloped a few times now and is supposed to be launching sometime later this year uh i have no idea what the quality of these shows are going to be but i think it, it it is it says a lot that uh losing beyblade has spurred Milvan and actually actually making this actually actually doing their own productions again actually creating Canadian productions. Uh, whereas before they were able to get by on just kind of thriving off of a foreign production. Um, I mean, regardless of what you think of Beyblade itself, this this seems like it was a as as just as a cultural uh, as a institution that creates Canadian cultural productions. Like this seemed like a very it seemed like a bad direction for them to go in just on on principle. I don't know. That's just that's my opinion. I don't know if uh, if 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 you got how you guys feel about that trade off.
1: I'm not going to say you're entirely wrong. I don't feel that way. I think Nelvana probably, and I believe Nelvana also has dealings with Takara Tony. Am I am I correct? Uh yeah. Yes. So I'm thinking maybe there was a really. Well, ha-
0: Hasbro uh, distributed the toys here, but um. Obviously, Takara Tomy was involved some somewhere in that in that uh, some international in that joint somewhere. Yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, Hasbro. Yeah. That's a, that's a better way to put it. I feel like there was such a large large amount of time spent and money spent contributed to the manufacturing of the toys and keeping these continuous toy lines running with new, better, newer things that I. I think it was overdone to a degree. And, you know, what kids are like toys are everything. But at the same time, I feel like there should have been an uh, ending in sight. I feel like if Nirvana should have returned to original production and maybe stopped trying to make so much money off of the series, it seemed like after the four to five years of the Bayley franchise, it seemed like it had begun decline.
2: Yeah, from what I could gather, Bay, the Bay Wheels and uh Bay Warriors toy lines weren't very popular and didn't sell very well at stores either. So.
1: Yeah, and in saying that I've seen them. I they are around here to a huge degree, actually, but I when I like asked the young kids in my family, do you know what Beyblade is? Yeah. Do you play Beyblade at school? No. It seems like it's quite different from when we were younger.
2: I remember they banned it when we were younger. A time.
0: That's all. That's always a a strong <laughs> indicator of how uh, culturally significant something is. But it's been
2: banned in schools. <laughs> the youth are revolts Banned the Beyblades blades and the sour skittles.
0: So just talking about the show's legacy. Obviously, babe, with Beyblade Burst going on, which is the third generation. Um, this is gonna th- like this franchise is gonna keep going. Uh, the only Canadian connection with the new production is that the voice acting work is being done in Vancouver now. Uh, it used to be done in Toronto, of course. have to see can get um, at work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, would you say that Beyblade still has a strong, specifically Canadian connection, even now that Nelvana is out of the picture, or has it kind of moved past that, or does that seem irrelevant uh, as the, the franchise is moving forward? What, what do you What do you thought What are your thoughts
2: on that? It's a little hard to tell right now because depending on how successful Burst is, not just in Canada but outside of Canada especially, it, it really remains to be seen. So I can't make a call on that.
1: I think there is definitely a decreased impact from what it had been when we were younger. But at the same time, uh, Takao Aoki has actually released a new manga that features the original characters. So that's really interesting. I know half of the fandom is, you know, up in the clouds, really, really hoping for a revival. And if that anime Can revival get... should ever see the light of day, I wonder <laughs> what it's something Nelvana would return to or... If it would be something that doesn't
2: even reach our Canadian airwaves. They, they're would gonna pull Dragon Summer? Ball Super. I, I hope they pull a Dragon Ball Super with my Beyblade. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm confident when I say that uh, Beyblade doesn't <laughs> occupy the same kind of cultural space that Dragon Ball does anywhere. <laughs>
2: well, maybe here, but it's still the
1: I think, yeah, on uh, on who you ask, I don't really think while while they were introduced around circa the same time and they did reach circa the same audience, that does target it at circa the same audience. When I look at Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, I see a bit of an older age group targeted for those animes. The concepts were a little bit more difficult to understand. They were longer animes, far, far-reaching. And Beyblade, I feel like, is more comfortable in the realm of, well, not quite as down there as Pokémon, but Digimon,
2: maybe. Mm. Well, well, if Digimon and Yukio can both get revivals aimed at the older fans, who knows?
1: We're, we're overdue.
2: <laughs> I...
0: I, I would make the argument that that Yu-Gi-Oh and Digimon are more again the the shonen <laughs> middle school demographic as you'd call it in Japan. Whereas well, definitely Yu-Gi-Oh, that, yes. That, that's the thing with um with uh, as I mentioned, uh, the the Beyblade manga was published in Korokoro Comic Magazine, and that's again that elementary school audience is sort of the mindset that the franchise is trapped in, which I might be might be a big reason that uh it doesn't it doesn't hit that same nostalgic note uh, as the other ones. But that actually kind of brings me to the last the question I wanted to finish off on, which brings us back to this question of how culturally significant uh, Beyblade can be considered in Canada. Do you think that this is a franchise that would actually get kids interested into anime in general? Or do you think that it's just kind of something that people would just embrace as a as a toy phenomenon, but not go any deeper? Uh, because like with. Pokemon is often credited as being the title that launched the modern anime fandom in almost every country in the world right now, or at least in every Western country in
2: the world to some extent. That's hard to argue, in all
1: honesty. I uh, I yeah. agree, um, cause it's or, or, or,
0: or wait, wait what, what, do you do you think that Beyblade is a show that gets people into and like generates interest in anime? Uh, because that, that that's kind of that that's kind of the sticking point for me. And I know I'm sorry, I'm being kind of a, a hard ass on this. <laughs> oh no, no, it's fine. Uh, but I can like it's definitely created a unique cultural impact in Canada, but I based on just what I've what I've engaged with, with it and, and read about it and, and talked to people about, I honestly don't see how Beyblade would generate an interest in anime with kids the same way that something like Pokemon or Sailor Moon would. Um it doesn't have the same kind of character depth or stakes or the mythology behind the toys being advertised doesn't like run as deep as the the mythology does in, in even shows like that um uh it doesn't have like distinct direct marks of a director or animation house uh it's not really all that sexy although i guess it does have some some shounen characters show up in the later seasons i've i've noticed but uh it, it doesn't have like alarmingly sexy characters like a lot of anime oh, uh, targeted,
1: the the targeted, the fandom, there's and, a reason the, the fandom would it yeah. differ with you there, there's a but. reason the- I,
2: there's a reason there's a lot of female fans of this series. I see.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, there I, is. You know what? Yeah,
0: I, I'm not going to argue with that. But I feel it is lacking in those elements that sort of hook people into anime and get them more interested in checking out other other anime shows. And I I feel that's kind of what separates it from the rest of the the rest of the titles that we normally focus this series of retrospectives on. But do you agree with that assessment, or would you would you counter it? I, I'm interested in your opinion on that
1: Well for, for both it got me into anime um when i learned that beyblade was an anime and you know from a young age you take it with a grain of salt i i loved it so much i was so in love with the show that a friend told me "Oh, there's another anime that comes on at night get your mom to let you stay up and watch it and this actually turned out to be inuyasha so so there was a link for me definitely there to me beyblade was an anime even if if i was involved with it it's an anime to me today I wouldn't, I've never considered it not an anime. Uh, everyone I've talked to definitely considers it an anime. They, it was a gateway to them. Uh, a friend from the U.S. described Beyblade as a phenomenon and in the U.S. actually she does remember a lot of merch commercials and there were the occasional tournaments in her city. So maybe in the States we, they actually did risk the same kind of, uh, gross overpopulation of, uh, Baybladers. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, it was it was on Cartoon Network there, so I mean obviously it got it got pretty good exposure.
1: Yes, yeah. uh, I talked with a recent uh, with a fan who actually only became a fan in 2010, and she is our age if not just a little older. It's because her younger brother had the toys and loved the series, so. She, I believe she began maybe with the metal series that her younger brother was involved in and then went back and watched the original. She fell in love with it all over and all these people consider it an anime. We wouldn't really call it any. I think it may be geared toward a younger audience, but I think it is mostly an anime and I think it could be a gateway to, to other shows.
2: Yeah, for me and for a lot of people of my generation, uh, Millennials or whatever you want to call us. It was very much a gateway drug to anime, like the shows you mentioned, Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, Pokemon, all that. Um, I think relevant to the time and the culture of YTV when Beyblade was airy, it was much easier to discover other anime series just by tuning into YTV at different times of the day and night. Now it's a little more different. There's not as much mm-hmm. anime on TV in Canada, and there's certainly none on YTV. But
1: that's- Indeed. Indeed.
2: That's a whole other can of worms I don't want to open because I uh, I don't need to anger up the blood now. Not nah, <laughs> just TV late at is, night.
1: TV's not what it be, <laughs> Preach
2: it, all. sister. Preach it.
1: <laughs> uh, Beyblade was in the legacy of Saturday morning cartoons. It joined Pokemon, Digimon, Sailor Moon, Beatemon, on, Metabots,
2: Transformers,
1: Transformers, and at night, Inuyasha, Gundam. Uh, these were all on airing around the same time it was actually uh the start of g revolution when that friend had told me hey man i i still really love Beyblade, you need to watch inyasha so they were airing at, at the same time and i consider them much alike even though Inuyasha had the swearing that you know made my mom evil but it was uh, it was still great i know my parents were the Beyblade a bit more than Inuyasha at least until i started practicing on their new hardwood shit well.
2: That's why mom always said go play outside. All right. Well, any other thoughts before we finish up?
1: Uh, I think I will state that there's such a, a big, a big factor in loving Beyblade so much, especially now at my age. I'm 23 years old. I'm a registered nurse. I, uh, this, like, I think nostalgia does play a each point, and I would not be objective if I were to rule out nostalgia as a driving force or in love with it. it I don't believe Beyblade is something people are looking up on YouTube every day to, uh, you know, uh, ooh, anime, big C, this is cool. I, I think a bunch of people who say, oh, you watch Sailor Moon, you watch this, you need to watch Beyblade. I think that's a big part of it. The fans who were fans back then, a lot of them, our fan now a lot of my friends who weren't hugely into the series can recall lines from it they they know certain characters if I were to bring up a screenshot I'm sure they could tell me they're from Beyblade and it's not always just on the toy line it was it was in uh, my friend's words it was a phenomenon for us it was so popular and we've carried that with us into adulthood and how much we loved it I've been an avid fan fiction writer for quite a couple I'm slow on updating that's like uh, Noah says, another can kind of worms so I'm not going
2: to. But oh, you write uh, Beyblade fanfiction too? Oh, too?
1: Ooh, that's interesting. Yes, I do. I mean,
2: my my, my fanfiction might be a little NSFW, but uh, you know, it's just how you get when you're an adult. Maybe it's time for oh, yeah. a hotter, hotter, sexier Beyblade reboot.
1: Hey, visit Tumblr anytime. We've got that for you. <laughs> I,
2: I stay um, away from Tumblr for very good reasons.
1: I actually use my fanfiction account. Uh, fanfiction.net has this interseature feature that actually allows you to blog and keep track of as to your fanfiction and which country they're from. I find it very, very interesting and very reassuring that about 90% of all of my views, uh, definitely no lower than 70, they are cataloged by month, are from, they are, so that tells me that there's still such a love for anime in this country, and I think it did have a really big cultural impact. In Japan, maybe the impact was a bit more, maybe it had been a bit less. I actually returned from Tokyo this past October. Uh, in which I was over there for a week and believe me, I searched high and low for Beyblade manga and as it turns out, I was able to get my hands on one copy and when the store attendant put it in my hands my heart just kind of dropped because it was a Metal Fusion manga. And I was oh. Like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and now, take You went a- all the way
0: to Japan for that.
1: I did. No, no, I didn't, but it was like it was like it was uh, maybe 88% of the reason. Oh, I'll, I'll keep you. And uh, there, it definitely wasn't as prevalent over there in this age as other animes were. With the revival of Digimon right now, Digimon Adventure Tri, that is absolutely everywhere. Bought a, ton, bought a ton of merch. Sailor Moon, I actually had someone uh, tell me that Sailor Moon merchandise wasn't that easy to find. That's a crock of shit, I can tell you that right now. There's Sailor Moon keychains <laughs> in the gas station. They're everywhere. Sailor Moon merch is a huge thing over there. And, and again, with the revival of Moon Crystal, there is probably more now than there usually is. But Beyblade was not prominent over there. Not at all. It was extremely hard to find. I asked at about every single shop in Akihabara. I spent four nights in Akihabara. Trust me, I searched pretty hard. And they, everyone almost had still a So So I, I think it is canada that there's such a long i i think that we were linked with the show on a toy perspective on an anime perspective on a game perspective Beyblade had games for the playstation man <laughs> i i have
2: that crappy game
1: so do i oh god i, have... I have the game boy advance one too it uh... the
2: v force one yeah D- D- Do you
0: you think that the tournaments that were held in Canada had played a big role in that for this country specifically? Oh,
1: definitely. Yes, 100%. There were a lot of... Didn't they have tournaments at Anime North one year? Yes, they did.
0: It was also hosted at Anime Evolution in Vancouver um, back in, like,
2: 2009, I think. That's how big this got. It was on the convention circuit. Mm -hmm.
1: It was. And in saying that, now, recently... uh, my friend who actually did uh, run the podcast that I've been a part of, uh, she's an avid, uh, she loves cons. She she goes to a couple conventions, sometimes about two, two a year, maybe more. And now she said she's never seen a Beyblade cosplayer. So that's interesting. Yet if you search up Beyblade cosplay, there's a wealth. So I think Beyblade is very much in the eye of the beholder for international wise i know it has touched many of my foreign friends and they they they're so in love with the show but mostly from the anime perspective and not from a toy perspective some areas did have the toys but there's just not as strong of a link there as there was to the anime and the strong nostalgia that's followed it so i think bailey did have a resounding cultural impact on canada and who knows maybe we'll get that revival noah that we are so hoping for, and whether it's sexy or not, I'm hoping that it inspires an entirely new generation of kids and teenagers and young adults to love the series as we did.
0: All right, well, let's leave it there. Um, thanks a lot, guys, for coming on. Uh, it was a great talk. Thanks. This no was problem fun.
1: at all. Yeah. It was. All right. It was a great time. Uh, now I hope we've at least made somewhat of a Beyblade fan out of you. I well, I,
0: uh, I, I I'm not sure about that, but I'm I'm still really interested in it as a, as a production. So. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, to know more, you gotta watch. I uh, I will end off by saying, uh, Jesse, don't mind. I really want to thank all of the people who took time out of their day to reblog my posts on Tumblr and give me a bit of their personal experiences with Beyblade and their childhood. I'm so touched that all of you, all of them responded, and thank you guys so much. I really hope that you're interested in listening to this podcast at some point and figure out where you guys weigh in versus Canada. And otherwise, I. I'm really happy to have been on the show and discussing something I love so much.
0: Great, thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in to Zonan Canada and big thanks to Jonathan Andrade for all his help with this episode. The theme song is by Ultraclystron, which you can purchase as part of his album Packet Flood at ultraclystron.com. You can reach me through Twitter at Zonin Canada or email zonandcanada at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice. And if you could leave a rating or review, that would be really helpful. As always, please recommend this show to anyone you think might be interested. Until next time, see you again.